and welcome to the Glacier Musical Podcast. This week I am joined once again by the inimitable, the incomparable, the insufferable, the yellow-hatted, quick-kick Chuckus. Although I am definitely Team Storm Shadow, will always be Team Storm Shadow, I will say that this whole Snake Eyes arching Storm Shadow thing fucking sucks. Bring back Quick Kick. How you doing? I'm insufferable. I love it. That's the best thing that's been said about me this week. I was just throwing adjectives out that were long, and that that I I, I blanked. I, I don't I don't plan this, although I probably <laughs> I did plan Quick Kick. I've been sitting on Quick Kick for a week, so. Was he the Navy Seal also? No, Quick Kick was the samurai they brought in to arch Storm Shadow. Uh, he wore no shoes or shirt. He wore, okay. Uh, I visualize him now. He had an open vest with no shirt. No, not even. He wore karate pants, as you yes. do, and a sash with three shuriken in it. That was Quick Kick. Okay. Because they thought about that long and hard and went, I don't know, man. What's Bruce Lee wear? So. Well done. So we are, uh, of course, continuing on the Iron Maiden of the 80s. And I think I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if we bit off more than we can chew because every week it seems like I'm listening to 18 fucking Iron Maiden albums each week to get caught up on this. And today I had to listen to and didn't finish because I'm bad. Uh, one studio album that was 50 minutes, a double live. And then another studio album that was 50 minutes. So, uh, Keefe, turn it over to you. I managed to listen to all three, but as you tuned in to me on this Zoom, I was still bumping uh, the last one. Uh, just a couple of quick notes. Those first couple of episodes pumped me up so much for Maiden that I was like deep diving Maiden live concerts <laughs> on YouTube. And apparently in 2005, which was only a few years after Bruce rejoined, they went in and did like a, first four albums only live world tour that I saw I because think I knew I that think it was for Edward the, it was probably for the Edward the Great uh compilation record mm, from Sanctuary and one. that's the same year they did Ozfest and the Ozfest stuff. Okay. So I saw that tour also twice. Well they didn't they didn't come here between Ot one and Ot thirteen. Crap. Not the, yeah, yeah we, we got them in Ot one, Ot thirteen and uh, aught 19. And I know it's not aught 13, not 19, but I just love the word aught. Oh, the aughts are awesome. And then just to, to tie it off, as I went to go listen to this thing, I got a piece of memorabilia this week in the mail that I purchased uh, last month for the virtual San Diego Comic Con. And uh, I want to thank Nuclear Blast Records. You can take a look at this number of the beast statue. Oh, no one else can see. Sweet. This is a podcast, so no one can see this beautiful statue. But if you go tune into my weekly ritual news show on Ghost Called Man's YouTube this week. You will see it as the mailbag drop. Spoiler. Send me, send me a, a selfie of you with that, and I'll post it all over my Instagrams. Sure thing. Um, all the selfies. And I'm going to crack my beer before we begin. I, am, I, uh, I have a... Go ahead. What are you drinking? I, I am drinking Irish whiskey this week uh, for now, until, but it's just got home, uh, so I'm bustling with nervous energy, so I'm trying to, like, camp it down with booze because I don't know what else to do. I, I drink my feelings. I don't I don't process them. It tastes it tastes better that way. So, but uh, as Iron Maiden in the uh, 666 uh, Flight of the Beast tour, what was it called? The, the DVD? Flight six, the, the Flight 666 DVD. Uh, they, documentary. At, at the end of it, 
which was uh, also the Power Slave Tour Redux. That was that live album. Uh, so it was World Slavery Ought 12 or something. But Right. Saw that too. But they, uh, they, one of the things they had at the end was like, you know, the, the statistics of how many miles traveled and this and that. And I think they went through 2,000 bottles of Jameson. Uh, I don't have Jameson because, you know, I'm not sponsored by them. But I would definitely be sponsored by them if they offered me money or free booze. But I do have a, a nice mid-level uh, Irish whiskey that I'm uh, enjoying in honor of Nico McBrain. Nice. I am going to crack my very first helmet brand Betty uh, Kolsch Ale <laughs> from Alasta Brewing Company in California. I am a sucker for these band beers when they're good. Again, as I've said repeatedly, the Mastodon Ale is my personal favorite. Reminds me of a good Stella Artois or a higher class Hefeweizen than that beer. But uh, here's the helmet beer going down. Let's see how it tastes. Before we go farther, have you ever had obituaries hopped in half? I have not, but that sounds incredible. It sounds terrible to me. This beer is pretty good. Is it? Because I like lots of hops. And it sounds like a very not hoppy beer. And being as they're from Florida, I would imagine it comes off cross like bush light. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going by stereotypes. Being that it's from Florida, I'm surprised it's not like malt liquor, shame, and alligator teeth bites, teeth marks. Um, pretty much what bush light is. Yeah. So it, it tastes like shame. It smells like shame. We we have plowed through these first like how insane is it that there's almost no drop off on any of these, right? It's like a slight drop off on the second record killers, but basically four out of the gate to start their career, including some singles that are or aren't on the album, depending on where you hang are. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You missed a bit. And they're all bad. We were, we were going to talk about the Trooper beer. We are going to talk about the Trooper beer. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, I like the Trooper beer. It is not spectacular. It is definitely as good as the Old Speckled Hen. It is definitely as good as the, uh, oh God, what is the name of that? Great. There, there's an English beer that I used to drink the crap out of. They made an ESB and they made a regular log, a regular pub ale. And it was about as good as those. Not, not phenomenal. And it is a little pricier than it should be, but sometimes it's definitely worth it. Uh, I did buy a bomber of Fear of the Dark. They're stout. And the problem, I had a lot of problems with that one. The first one being, it just was a little bland and there was two, I don't like my stouts to be session beers. Um, I'm an American, and even though I like darker beers <clears throat> than most Americans, it's still got to pack something. And when a dark beer doesn't pack a punch, it's just it just messes with my brain. It wasn't bad, but if we were looking at a six and a half, seven percenter, I think I would enjoy it much more. Very fair, very fair. I like the main Trooper beer, and this is Robinson's Brewery uh, that produces the Trooper beer. Um, it's just on the cusp of being a little too bocky and hoppy for me. It's a little strong for my taste buds. I don't like super bitter beers, but it's it's got just a little bitter in it, and I think that's probably the sensibility for everybody else, not me. It is a very good beer. I did have the Sun and Steel beer once when they had it at St. Vitus in Brooklyn, and I did not enjoy it. You know, that is that is uh, a beer in sake, and I love sake. I love sake, but sake is supposed to be served hot. 
and beer is supposed to be served cold. And it, I mean, I, I'm sorry. The whole concept weirds me out to the point where I'm not even going to try it. I, here's what I think. I think people saw like a boiler maker and was like, you know, it'd be a good idea if we take that idea and we do it on other things. And it's not a fucking good idea. Tecate no. is wet. Tecate is weak. Either drink tequila or fuck off. Or drink Mexican beer. Don't have Tecate. And tecate is either, Mexican beer. You, but I'm saying like, yeah, I'm just saying like people chase it with tequila here. Well, uh, when I was in New York, they would well, have like I, a I Tecate and a tequila. I would say don't drink Mexican beers except for Bohemia Pilsner. And definitely don't fucking drink tequila because all that shit is nasty. But that's me. <clears throat> tequila will tequila. Yeah. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. Trooper Beer, thumbs up. It is going to come. There are more varieties coming, apparently, t- themed with Senjutsu. So maybe we'll see a new Sun and Steel. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm for, you know, Maiden's uh, proliferating of the, uh, you know, all these uh, beers. They're doing a very nice job expanding out the alcohol line spirits. Speaking of Senjutsu, uh it's funny to me that we're going to be still doing this series when Senjutsu comes out. There's so much to talk about. Did you like the second single, Stratego, which is out I now? loved Stratego much more than the first one. So did I. The it's a more one, classic Iron Maiden sound. Yes. I actually didn't finish the first one. <laughs> Listen to it enough, and I went, okay, this is clearly Latter Day's Iron Maiden. And I'm okay with Latter Day's Iron Maiden for the most part. A little long-winded sometimes, but never awful. Except for accepting uh, a matter of life and death. Sorry, that album sucks. I got you. I was, still, I, was still, I was still taking over Benjamin Brieg. Today, we are somehow... Wait, Benjamin Brieg was on that album. Oh, okay. I keep thinking it's a standalone, but it wasn't. No. Um, I mean, it was like 38 minutes long, so it seems like one. Right, right. So we have done, like Iron Maiden, four albums in four years, it seems. And those albums are unbelievable. And then they continue, really. they continue to fucking roll. Like nothing could stop them. To the point where I it's almost will, like, is this the greatest start to any metal artist career? It might it, be. It is. In the, to me, they have a, a similar Metallica number five drop off. And maybe, maybe this is just because of hindsight of whatever, of having heard the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner 1800 too many times or that kind of thing. But I felt like that Power Slave was the beginning of an Iron Maiden cool off to it. Now, cool off from, you know, you've got these eight to 10, nine to 10, 10 to 10 records to seven and a half out of 10, six and a half out of 10, seven out of 10. There's a few stinkers there, not stinkers, but there's some lower, some, you know, Power Slave. Let me get to the track list because I don't remember it. I will say, uh, Big Aura, Lost for Words, that was completely unnecessary. Um, they love their instrumentals. That's all Steve. Steve loves those instrumentals, boy. This is the last one for like a really long time. He really, well, I wonder why. He really wanted, I feel like Steve really wanted, he would love to have been in Rush without being in Rush. You know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, I hear you. The only other thing I would say, Flash of the Blade or the Duelists, do one, not both. Flash of the Blade is great. We'll go we'll go song by song before an analysis, but it's still a real I, I think it's actually a great album with a couple of not clunkers, but there's a few sevens mixed in with the tens. Correct. And that's, that's, that's exactly so that makes, what I mean. So that makes it good, not great. 
but the great ones on here are top tier Iron agreed still. except when except, they, well, they want to write singles they can write singles like when they want to write a hit song for a metal band they can write a hit song i mean like there are songs on this album that are remain in the set list that remain people's favorites that remain un you can't kill these fucking songs no you, can't kill them all. you you will never kill aces high two minutes or two minutes to midnight now well, now I, think about I that for a second or power slave Oh yeah, and Power Slave. I forgot about the title that track. Is amazing. Why I, I don't know why I forgot about that one, but anyway, moving on. Or me shutting up. Me moving on. No, it's all good. Um, but yeah, like so, like at this point, they are super successful, huge world tours. They took a little bit longer to do this one, but again, they are still basically album tour, album tour, album tour. Uh, Peace of Mind, I think, came out in May of '83. And Power Slave is out in September of '84, just like they, a machine. Yeah, and then they embark on their longest tour of their career. The unfortunately titled "World Slave, World Slavery," but I get why. Uh, I'm gonna <laughs> also point out that Steve Harris is not quite as young as I thought at this point. He is 28. He was older some, than all of them to begin when with. So comes like, out. he's aged yeah. really well, though. Yeah, Nico, I think, came out of his mama's womb looking like 50, but, like, he's awesome. Yeah, he is not aged. But also, he came out looking old. Yeah, he didn't start it. young. He Benjamin Button that shit for a long time. If, if, if he's going Benjamin Button, he's got about 800 years left on the planet. It might be. I think it's the ribs and the beard. Um, <laughs> so, of course, we have another album inspired by books and movies. And uh, history, because that's what we love in Iron Maiden. That a terrible Bruce Dickinson impersonation or what? Um, oh, I thought that was Steve Harris. Oh, Steve's got a little. Steve's got a little deeper voice. He's just a very serious. Well, I, I think it's more funny, to the quality of the impersonation than the the timbre of their for, voices. For sure, for sure, for sure. Uh, so it's like swiggity smooth this beer. Let's do the track by track. Do you want to start? Yes, I would. Ace is high. Um, here we have a classic moment in metal. And before we get too deep into this, I don't know if we've really mentioned this, but this is the first time a metal band as we know it in 2021 has succeeded. You know, you can say Black Sabbath, you can say Judas Priest, you can say Quiet Riot or Motley Crue. Yeah, 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 yeah. Iron Maiden is different. Iron Maiden has gone from the prototypical of Black Sabbath to the from the transitional of Judas Priest to the scene band of Quiet Riot, and they are the fully formed typical metal band of the time, and still to this day. And here they are, just ginormous. But anyway, Aces High, oh my God, that is a song. I, I don't know what to say about that. Uh, I did love the Churchill speech. I loved, I mean, this is, who wrote this one? This was uh, completely written by Harry. So, my God, he is truly, truly a talent, as it were. But, no, love He this is a one. machine in general. Oh, yeah. Uh, although, interestingly enough, some of the better songs on here are not by him, um, which is super interesting. Um well, yeah, I, I want to get into that before we get when we finish this, the track by track. I want to get into that a little bit. 
I've seen Iron Maiden about 10 times, and they have opened with Aces High about seven of those 10 times. I've seen them four, t- four times? Four times. And the last time I saw them, I think it was toward the end. So they've now moved it to the back of the set list where you get like a little late show. Well, they, them a minute, they did open them a legacy, legacy of the Beast tour with it. I guess true. I remember. With the, with the plane. With the plane. Um, and they had the plane again in New York when I just uh, I saw them a couple of times ago. Um, second track, another Smith Dickinson banger, Two Minutes to Midnight. Do you listen to Two Minutes to Midnight and think this song is two minutes or three minutes long and it's like six minutes and four seconds? Is it really that long? Holy shit. Yeah. But it feels like over like that because it's it just feels like a killer. punk song. It, it feels like 90 kind of, seconds long. Kind of it's, it's like a it's punk also, song with Bruce on it. Right. It's also got the greatest lyric Iron Maiden ever wrote. Uh Blood is Tonight, Freedom Stain. Blood is Freedom Stain. Freedom Stain. That's it. Anything, yeah. I mean, the, the whole rest of it's good too, but that metaphor. Where that metaphor gives me the chills every time I hear it. Maybe we should come back to this topic at the end of the Maiden run in a couple of weeks, or in a week, and discuss the the similarities. And I think it's just a post-war England, post-World War II. If you were born in that era, you grew up in the shadow of the bombings in World War II. You heard stories from your parents. And like very Pink Floyd and very Steve Harris and very oh, yeah. Roger oh, yeah. Waters have these war-themed songs that are very gripping and emotional. Well, one of the things that I've heard many times, and this is going to be the last thing I say on this topic, is Americans' thirst for war is the, the, the flames are fanned over here because we've never had a war in living memory on our soil. Facts. I'm down with that. Um, as, as previously hinted at, Lost for Words, Big Aura, the instrumental uh, track number three, written by Steve. It's not terrible. It's not bad. It's enjoyable. I just don't need it on this. I don't need it. And that's every other song on the the previous albums. You needed those songs. This is, this is where I'll just touch on this briefly. This is where the pace of Iron Maiden starts to take a toll because you no longer have these high quality stuff stop top to bottom. Lost for Words is one of them. Perhaps, perhaps. I will I will also say I always thought that Lost for Words was a pun because maybe they meant to have lyrics on this and they just never got to put it on and thought the song was good enough to be an instrumental. Um, anyway, I think we'll have our first disagreement here on this album. I think Flash of the Blade is brilliant, written by Bruce, killer lyrics, fun song, tight, four minutes in and out, and maybe it's because it's after Lost for Words, which is kind of a, a dud. It's it's a it's a banger for me. I think you're not a big fan. I have no strong feelings for over Flash of the Blade or the Duelists. They are both not terrible. They are both not great. My point is the subject matter on these songs is so freaking similar. One, at least don't put them back to back. Two, you know, to me when. An album is 45 minutes top. You go 35 to 45. And here we have Iron Maiden uh, pushing 52 minutes. So right there, you've got 11, 12 minutes you can cut just to make the record, just to make the, the vinyl disc sound better. 
perhaps I think if you look at the whole body of work up to this point, it's hard to argue like the success of the other albums. So like, I'm sure Martin wasn't telling them cut this, leave this out at this point. They were kind of, Steve feels like he's producing himself anyway, no matter who's behind the boards. Um, I agree about the Duelist. It's, I could live without it. I like Flash of the Blades so much. The Duelist is another dip. This is the first Maiden album for me that has multiple peaks and valleys where it was usually like up, up, up and down and then up, up, up and down. And this is like up and down and up and down. But okay, still an excellent record when you take into account these other songs. Agreed. It's an excellent but imperfect record. Fair enough. Uh, Side two on the vinyl and the cassette and the A-track begins with, no wait, back in, there was probably no track, Back in the Village, which is a marginal song to me. It's just okay. Agreed. Another Not marginal good. song. We so can agree so far that there have been three squiffies. The squiffy is the word. We probably need stickers that say squiffy. Glacial Musical Podcast, the word is squiffy. Um, <laughs> yeah, Back back in the Village, another Dickinson Smith, and it's just okay. Right. It's, okay. it's, it's not bad. It's not great. But when you I've bookend never met- it around some great quality, it sticks out. Never met one person that told me, you know, my favorite Iron Maiden song is Back in the Village. You know what? I've, no, never, no. I've never heard anybody say, you ever heard that song, Back in the Village? I forgot. But then, Up, Up, and Away, maybe. Because Power Slave as a title track might be the best Maiden title track besides Number of the Beast. It is that great. Oh, Brave New World's pretty sweet. No, this is better, but yeah, it is pretty sweet. Brave New World is my favorite dystopian novel because I see that world and I'm like, I don't know, is that really so bad? We're in that world. Uh, Real quick, if you get pregnant with your your lady friend, do not tell the family. I, I don't know if anybody did this that I know that's me. But don't tell the family. You know, it seems like this is so savage. Shouldn't we be having baby factories like Brave New World by now? Don't say that. Don't say that. Um, and don't keep telling the story that you did. Because nobody's going to think you're not a monster. Sorry. Alrighty. Um, advice. I also like Acres of Skin by Fear Factory along the same lines. Anywho... <laughs> Power Slave is incredible, credited only to Dickinson, which is strange because he doesn't play guitar that I know of, and that riff is a, a monster riff. That is, it's it. almost, it's almost, he could have, he probably did. It's almost a thrash metal song. It's so badass, and Testament did an incredible cover of it just recently. Another song on this album that I didn't know was Seven Minutes. It doesn't feel like it, and when they're on, they're on. It feels quite magical. Correct. That is, I, yes, Iron Maiden, when they're on, it, it feels like everything is a 35-minute record. And you're like, that's it? Wow, it's gone already? Let's put it on again. That's the magic of a great band. Um, I know that it's overplayed. I know that it is the pee and poop break of choice for radio. when We had radio as a thing. And I know that you're particularly tired of it and it's overlooked. But I will say, in the context of when I first heard this album, in which I was like, Whoa. Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner is a great song. It's just one of those things. It's like not quite a stairway to heaven for Maiden, but it's just like, all right, enough. I have now heard this enough times for a lifetime. It is an exceptional track, and it's certainly a banger to end the album with. It's a good song, but I just feel like if you could have whittled it down to eight minutes or nine minutes even, because it's not... But I mean, the thing about it is it's not like it has these extended breaks. 
it's not like you've got this these 38 second solos it's just got it, it's basically just bruce reading the fucking poem for an hour and it feels like an hour it 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 now that i've heard it a gajillion times it feels long at the time when i first heard it it was like my mind was blown and if you go again like in time in the mid 80s it doesn't have a whole lot of changes it doesn't no, have it's a whole lot of musicality it's a 13 minute song of just din, 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 din. not unlike their mm-hmm. other single <laughs> yeah. and that that's uh, the problem that's the problem I have with this album is we start to get where Iron Maiden, even on the quality tracks, is getting into that din, 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 rut. That was not on the previous. It, it wasn't a rut on the previous albums. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, you know, the butterfly position where you start there and see where you go. No, and now it is. If you had to give a grade, and of course, we're not even talking about another amazing album cover. They did the stage set based on this, the shirts. I mean, this incredible artwork, five in a row for Riggs. But um, if you had to put a grade on this in the context of the albums we got before it, where does Power Slave hold up for you with the Diano first two and the first two boosts? It's my least favorite right now out of these five. In, but in fairness... I mean, I gotta, let me clarify, Peace of Mind for me is my first Iron Maiden album that was ever mine. So I've got a great nostalgia for that. And the fact that I was able to write a paper on Dune based on Just to Tame a Land in high school is very helpful. The the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner didn't get me any A's on papers in mystery science fiction, I'll tell you that much. Um, Number of the Beast is just... I mean, that is just an amazing, amazing record. You know, the, the Paul Diano albums, listening to them now, I have a much greater appreciation for them. So, yeah, I would say this is number five out of five. I would probably put this ahead of Killers to me. But that being said, the other records are ahead of it. And well, that's just we, my own personal taste. We're agreeing that we're seeing a dip in quality. A slight dip and a it, dip where this from track to track there's a, a drop right. off, and which I is the first time. But again, how many bands have this many incredible albums? It's still like an eight of ten for me as an album because the highs, the four or five out of these eight that are unmesswithable. I would say I would say seven to five for me, or seven 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 and a half out of ten, excuse me. You know, I once had more than once I've had musicians whose albums I've reviewed say to me, What was your favorite track on the record? And my answer is always, and nine times out of ten, is always, sorry, dude, you're, it's an album. I'm reviewing an album. I'm not reviewing I you. songs. I, I am passionate about individual tracks that sometimes buoy the whole thing for me or tie a thing together, like a plate of food or a drink. But I, um, I respect that. I respect that. Um, do you want to go on to Live After Death now or take a break and then bang through Live After Death? Uh, no, well, let's, let's, bang, let's bang through Live After Death and take a break. But, you know, Alrighty. right in now, again, right now we have Iron Maiden going into arenas. We have Iron Maiden on their longest tour. And we have Iron Maiden at, frankly, the, this is their creative zenith. They, no, I would, no, I'm going to take that back. Uh, Maybe, I don't know. 
I think we might be in the falling action of the zenith, but I mean, not from, not by not like miles away. But we are at the point now where Iron Maiden never tops what they've done before. Not that that's a problem, considering how it's like saying, "Well, Pink Floyd never did better than Dark Side of the Moon." Well, no, no one did, so it's it's fine. But we are now about to see Iron Maiden go from big band to household name on this tour. In fact, I mean, facts. And again, this is again in the time of Iron Maiden as a massive, massive band at this point, as big a band as there is in the world at this point, and that plays guitar-driven music. In the time of Michael Jackson and Madonna and Prince and George Michael and others, you know, Bruce. Well, we're, we're talking about 1984 right now. 1984, uh, the other big, of course, the other biggest one from 84 is... Uh, Van Halen. Van Halen. Uh, 1984 was a, was a diamond record. But I mean, I wouldn't call them metal. I know some people do. No. We had Kiss no. that put out Animalized that was, uh, it's called Platinum. I don't know if it is. You have uh, Twisted Sister, Stay Hungry. You had Quiet Riot basically imploding <laughs> at this point. Probably, I think they may have already imploded at this moment. So, which when Quiet Riot imploded, of course, you know, you have to get the death of heavy metal argument that comes up every five years uh you had rat breaking through with round and round but Death had, leopard is has a hit record with pyromania all over oh the world. yeah they're on the pyromania tour at this point you've also got when you madonna is breaking she hasn't broken yet uh, i believe lucky star is out around this time definitely borderline and lucky star are hits by now you have cindy lopper with girls just want to have fun that has incredible bloated uh, saw her in concert a couple years ago. Great show. Also, yeah, had, I saw her. I saw her a, a while back, and she was incredible. Also, have that album on Japanese pressing. Um, Interesting. Japanese so, needless to say, Maiden Sorry. is rocking the sh- no, no, because it's a good side to put them in context. They are getting to be as big as Thriller, as big as Jump, as big as you know Pyromania, Rock of Ages. Like they are this big on tour in arenas around the world, not just in Europe, around the world. They are this big a band. Correct. And then they go on to do the What Everyone Does live album. And not only is this maybe the greatest live album in metal history, it might be the greatest what, the greatest live album in rock history beside Kiss is Alive. Okay. And Alive 2. That's fair. Not, not Alive 2, Alive 2. And so. we discussed this. We discussed, oh, I love Alive 2. We discussed this on the previous Glacial Musical podcast when we talked about live albums. This was, I think, in our top tier without oh, yeah. having ranked them. You know, looking back, it, it was unfair to even do that with metal because there aren't that many classic metal live records. But Iron Maiden's Live After Death, I get chills thinking about this record. If you... This is the album... And I think what makes a, a live album a classic live album is it's the kind of music, it's the kind of record that... If somebody said, hey, have you heard of Iron Maiden? Yes. I'm interested. What should I listen to? The first thing I would hand someone is Live After Death. It is a veritable greatest hits album up to this point. And if you never heard anything else, this might be enough. And I have it, is en- it is enough. It is enough. And this is not counting the next couple of records that also have banger songs. Right. There, Iron Maiden does not put out an album with all crappy songs until life, until uh, Matter of Life and Death. But this album, I mean, you could give... This is like Kiss Alive. Kiss Alive will tell you exactly what that band was 
It gives you all the songs you need. It is the perfect starter kit. And if you're a cheap bastard, it's all you need. Indeed. And honestly, how many people heard this album? This is probably, you hear the Aces Highs, where you fight them up at. You will fight them you see. You will fight them. You hear the speech. You hear the scream for me, Long Beach. And you never hear, you know, you've, you've never saw them. This is the first time you're hearing the Bruce shit. You hear the fucking great production of a live album. Probably at this point, the best production of any live album, perhaps. Agreed. That actually sounds like a live album. I would um, actually point out, I believe this is mostly legitimately live. At yes, least mostly. mostly. I think Steve insisted there is a, the VHF, the VHS of this came out on hi-fi stereo sound VHS. I don't know Woo-hoo. what the fuck that is. But I like, I believe it. It's stereo. It's, it, that, that that was a, a fancy way stereo of saying mix. stereo. Yeah, stereo it was mix. mixed for stereo. Although, but back then nobody had VCRs that went into stereo. So who the fuck cares? I wonder if you had one of those big ass TV console things that was like eight feet long and it had a built-in speaker system. Those things were not. Of... Those things were not stereo. Okay. They just no. had big speakers. They yeah. were just loud. Yeah, yeah they, they were just loud and, and huge and stupid. But, and, I'm, and I want one so bad. Because it's a live <laughs> album, do we want to bother with the tracks or just kind of gloss over them? I, I think if we just gloss over it here, um, you know, uh, why don't we just each just kind of go over uh, sides, you know, one through, you know, one through four and just, uh, uh, here, I'll, I'll explain, you know, Churchill speech, you, you pointed that out, amazing, into Aces High, what a great fucking opener. Two Minutes to Midnight, High Energy, The Trooper. This is where I realized that this album it might be close to 100% live because somebody on the first chorus uh, misses the harmony. And it sounds like me doing a harmony, legitimately. And then on the next one, nobody did a harmony, which was Bruce. Uh, Revelations, another a great, uh, a great song. You know, not a... Not a single or anything kind of surprising. They brought that one back. Flight of Icarus, love that song, always have. Rhyme in the Ancient Mariner, it's what not to do when a bird shits on you, blah, blah, blah. Power Slave, amazing. Number of the Beast, I mean, that's just such a great song. Hallowed Be Thy Name. And then they they bust into a little bit of the, the, the Paul Diano era, uh, Iron Maiden, uh, then they do Run to the Hills, Running Free, Wrath Child, 22 Acacia Avenue, Children of the Damned, Die With Your Boots On, Phantom of the Opera. Um, also, it's worth noting that sides one through and three were recorded at Long Beach Arena, where the Kings originally played. And side four was recorded at the Hammersmith Odeon. Indeed. And uh, No Remember Tomorrow, which earlier we were talking about top five possible Iron Maiden songs to this day. And they were probably sick of, of Remember Tomorrow by this time. So I know they left it out sometimes. But like, no Remember Tomorrow. Um, interestingly enough, on very recent, a few years ago, a Ben Sevenfold live album from Long Beach Arena, because they're from Orange County, they had a bonus track where they had a, a made it cover Flash of the Blade <laughs> as a tip to that, because right. again, recorded in there. I don't think they saw it at the time. They were probably babies, but like, pretty cool to make a geographical nod to a classic band and a classic album. Yeah, just um, just flawless, flawless live album. One of the first live albums I ever remember hearing. Obviously, Kiss was very early in my time, but um, it was incre- it was, incredible. It was my first, followed by Black Sabbath, Live Evil. But, and I, I don't think we mentioned, you know, this album really pushed forward 
the Eddie the Head mythos and, you know, continued to make him such an amazing symbol, which if you think about it, it's pretty silly, but they do it so convincingly that it never seems silly. And, you know, great cover, great title. And, you know, everybody in their live albums has to, you know, come up with some way of saying live. And, I mean, they nailed it, perfectly nailed it. It's, it's, it's just, right. and, it's just and, a banger top to bottom. Right, and the cover art is also a homage to Power Slave, which they were on this World Slavery Tour. The color scheme, another beautiful one. And, uh, yeah, just can't, yeah, it's just flawless. So five records out of the gate, four of them, or let's say three of them are 10 of 10 or nine of 10. Mm-hmm. Two of them are seven or eight of 10 in my estimation. And a live album that is as good as anything that if you didn't have any Iron Maiden and somebody said, you gotta get this Iron Maiden, get into Iron Maiden, start with this live album and get the whole you know, buffet, Chinese buffet of Iron Maiden flavors, you could do it. Oh yeah. And production, performance, song selection. You know, on all of those, you know, nine or ten of ten on, on all three. I would probably places. leave off rhyme and add in Remember Tomorrow. But other than that, it's perfect. I would leave off rhyme just because, you know, really you shouldn't, play, unless you're Rush, you shouldn't be playing 14-minute tracks live. Uh, unless you're Pink Floyd playing dogs, you have no business doing a 14-minute track live. Right. I mean, you've got to be known for 14-minute tracks. Mm. You know, a seven-minute is long. Eight minutes is Okay. Metallica doesn't have a 13-minute track. I don't think so, actually. You're right. I mean, maybe on, like, Suicide and Redemption might be. I, I think 12 is as big as they've ever gone. And Metallica's known for, I mean, known for exceptionally long tunes. Iron Maiden is not. So you have this, you know, basically this two, this weekend, this, this song that takes as long as a weekend, yeah, People are going to go get beers then. It's eh, That would be anybody, regardless of the quality of the tune. Imagine if, like, Sticks busted out with, like, you know, a 20-minute tune in the middle of their set. People are going to go you get a beer be, then. You better be coming back with Come Sail Away and Mr. Roboto, otherwise I'm out. Oh, God, yes. And Come Sail Away and Mr. Roboto, too much time on my hands and Renegade. And then, you know, uh, and then a reach around. But that's besides the point. <laughs> too much time on my hands is great. Um... I think it's time for a break, Nicholas. All right, so let us, let's take a break and we will catch up in here just a minute. And we are back. You're supposed to talk now. Okay. Um, I'm just grinning like a bastard. Um, <laughs> He's thinking about his lady. Or my is, sweet, uh, or my PJs that he saw. I don't know. Nice PJs. They match my shirt. Um, we were discussing this offline before this podcast and before today Senjutsu pre-order wait for the funny fine swirly vinyl that's surely to come later on or get the black vinyl multiple for you know like the three vinyl set that's like 50 60 bucks I went I went for the black vinyl I hemmed and hawed about it because $50 is is pricey and it's not even three records worth of material, but because they've got some longish bits in there, it breaks it up, which I dislike. But, you know, I didn't buy Book of Souls. I do have Book of Souls live chapter, and I'm trying to stay even with Iron Maiden live albums and Iron Maiden studio albums on vinyl. I'm at, uh, let me think, 
So I've got piece, number, and seventh. So I got three, yeah, I got three studios, four lives. Because like a dumbass, I, I bought Legacy of the Beast, which is completely unnecessary, really. If you intend to have the actual, all the albums, yes, it is. It, it's just, it's, it's a completely unnecessary live album. I get why they did it. I love the fact that Iron Maiden actually puts out a live album basically for every tour. They do now. Yeah, they have 13 studio, 13, or 13 live and 16 studio records. It's insane. It's, it's almost too much. It, no, yeah, maybe, I don't know. But now we are heading into Somewhere in Time, which is not a concept album, like some people say. It is unintentionally a thematic album, because every song deals with time in some way. It felt like a concept album. I was in, uh, I was just starting high school when this came out. This came out a few weeks after my birthday. I bought this on cassette. Uh, and I really love this record. And I really, again, to me, it's still like, how high is the magnitude of this band that they can, they did a 331 tour date, world tour. Came back feeling depleted, according to all reports. And still turned in a pretty great record. I'm going to disagree with that a bit, but we're, we're in the soft underbelly of Iron Maiden because, and, and this is where on, on the Department of Metal Antiquities podcast, we did an episode on X Factor because that's what, uh, that's what our guest wanted to do. And we both felt that was the, be we all felt at that moment that that was the beginning of latter days Iron Maiden, post reunion Iron Maiden. But it wasn't. I would say this album it, it has the seeds of what came later. You know, mm -hmm. we have, we have synths, we have, you know, a lot more contribution. You know, we have Adrian writing a song, Dave Murray, uh, let's see. Um, so we have yeah we have Murray writing one we have Adrian writing three three tunes no Bruce Dickinson compositions this time so according to the Wikipedia entry on this album which Wikipedia all of them is correct I've decided it, okay I would often say sometimes not but according to this and this has been a story told, so we've heard this before. Bruce came in with a bunch of songs that sounded like Stairway to Heaven because he felt like they needed to come back from all these records in a row and this live album, and they needed to come in with, like, their Zeppelin four. And Steve was like, yeah, your stuff is all going in the bin, as our British friends say, and you go in the corner until I tell you it's toxic. And that's what happened. And then, from what I understand, a lot of what he brought in was later used on his solo records. Mm. And frankly, and I, I don't know if this is a minority opinion or not, I unintentionally hold about 15,004 minority opinions. I don't feel like I'm a, a contrarian curmudgeon, but me, many people would disagree. But I would argue that most of Bruce's solo career is crap. I don't agree. 
I think actually most of his solo career is great, and I welcome him to come back to it at some point in the future. Look, the last one he did, Tyranny of Souls, is one of the greatest records I've ever heard. However, it also didn't have Tattooed Millionaire on it. That, yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> the, the gifts the gifts of, of Roy Z. Um, Roy Z would be a very interesting interview um, to, to talk about the records he's worked on. So apparently Bruce was told to go sit in the corner, you dunce, you bell end, as they say. Ooh. And uh, I, I recently learned the majority to, of this album. I, I don't know if it's true, but I recently learned that bell end means wang doodle tip. That sounds about right. I mean, if you think about it, bell, eh, I mean, it, it works out. It does. It does. Um, so I'm trying to think what else about this album to discuss before the track list and the album. But uh, it does have two incredible singles. Oh, uh, we, we actually didn't mention they took time off before this one. They finally took some time off. Thank Christ, because they were probably burnt to a crisp mentally and physically. I don't know how they wouldn't have been. I mean, uh, as we've all seen in... Uh, the I forget the name of the the movie, but we always called it uh, "I've Got No Fucking Left Arm." The Rick Allen story, you know. Yikes! Yeah, you saw that movie, right? On VH1. I think I skipped it because I love Def Leppard more than most people, and I don't want to subject myself to bad tellings of their history. It I'd was, rather wait for them to do their own Bohemian. It Rhapsody was someday. bad, but it was fun. Okay, it like was. Yeah, not as fun as The Dirt. The Dirt was amazing. No, uh, I think it could be as fun as The Dirt. I would actually like to do a podcast on that movie. But Let's that, do it. That's a different, that, uh, that's a we different make, conversation. We should make Duncan have to watch The Dirt and have oh, to Oh, God, no. He I, would I, die. He would he's, die. So, he would, he's so properly his, English. His sensibilities would be destroyed. I know. By this film. I know. Like, he's, how could you? I thought you were fond of me. How could you do this? He's so Does Duncan know we talk about him like in these terms? Like these Duncan, like, Duncan lo- doesn't lovingly, but also like yeah, and I'm sure. I I, um, I love Duncan to death, and as do he I. he is the greatest foil for me on yes. because I am so brashly American. You are such an so, odd couple, and he is so reservedly British. I love it, love it, and yeah, he's he very, also he's very proper, and you aren't. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, but I'm on my good behavior around him, mostly. He should be. <laughs> but, so, yeah, they, they took time off, because like Rick Allen said in the movie, it's like a job, mate. You work a bit, you take a holiday. I'm going to take a holiday. I'm going to go buy the fastest car that they make in Detroit. That, that was actually a line from the movie. Uh, again, spectacularly terrible. Awful. Um, holy shit. Uh, <laughs> this gun's yes. not even loaded. Anyway, wow, Terry okay. Kath movie, who I love. Oh, no, God, no. <laughs> that was his last words. This gun's not even loaded. Are you anyway, serious? Yeah, Terry. Oh, I love Lord. I am going to have to listen to Chicago 4 with a bottle of whiskey now. We might need, like I said, we might need to at some point do a Chicago run on here. Um, so I might make you. Um, I like Chicago. I've actually seen I it. love them so much. I've, well, let me rephrase. I've seen what passes for Chicago in 2018, I think it was. They were doing the oh. Chicago 2 record. My wife, who loves Chicago, who dragged me there, 
halfway through them playing that double record, she's like, "My God, this is pretentious crap." You're you you're married the smarter half there. Um, so let us go do the track by track. Uh, you you count this one off. I counted the other two. I will count this one off. So the what goes for the title track caught somewhere in time excellent track long longish it is longish it it is an excellent track it is very much reminiscent of what's to come that is a foreshadowing we get the the bruce's vocal line on this and i'm not going to sing it because i do a melodic songs at karaoke for a reason because i can't do melody but that's why i played guitar and but his the the way he drags it out, singing at a different tempo than the music, that's I mean that is what has become the classic Bruce Dickinson chorus, and it's a great great song. Well said. I can't add anything to that. Following that incredible opener is "Wasted Years," still in the set list, still amazing. Adrian Smith, another banger. He is. And it's fair to say that Adrian is the second best writer in Maiden. It's not really fair or close. I love Bruce, but like Adrian has asserted himself over this arc of reggae. Like he didn't really do much the first record or two he got in, but then he goes on a run where every album he has key contributions. I feel like he was Kirk Hammond at the beginning where it's like, you sit there and we're going to point at you and you play a solo. You go whittly, whittly, whittly. And then we'll stop pointing and you'll stop and you'll get groupies. I feel like that's probably similar to the conversation. And, but he, yes, he definitely starts to assert himself. Also, one of the things I love about this song, I forget which tour it was on because Iron Maiden has gone on so many tours. And I also want to point out, we mentioned, we we refer to a lot pre and post Bruce reunion. You know, Bruce had two jaunts. Adrian has two jaunts. And when Bruce comes back, Adrian comes back. Bruce also requested Yannick stay. And Yannick, I love Yannick. He, I don't know what he does. He, he's like murder face. It's not, it's not play guitar live. That's what Yannick Gears does. He does not touch that guitar until his one solo in the show. I know he plays it. I'm, I'm, he is sh- not sh- playing guitar. I, I can't hear. I knew, I'd cover my, I got headphones. But I'd Do you guys, let me ask you a question about, St. Louis or thereabouts, the Midwest. Do you guys have guys that stand on the corner and spin the hot dog sign and spin the sign? No, we don't have any of that. Uh, That's a California thing. I never saw it before I lived here. Or I should say, I never saw it before I visited here. Right. And I know like the Joker movie has like an old 70s New York guy spinning a sign is not a thing in New York. It was never done. Yes, Yannick does a lot of spinning. He does. He definitely spins the hot dog sign. No but one can spin- see the face I'm making right now. He is, I love but him. He and his spins it with is- such conviction. He and is that's... the most useless member of Iron Maiden. He no, he is not he, needed. Hear, hear me out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the, the point I was making. He is the same thing. He is Toki from Death Clock. That's fair. He is Toki and Murderface from Death Clock. There was an episode of Death Clock where they fired them both because neither of them wrote, neither of them played on the albums. And they decided they didn't need them anymore. Halfway through the recording of the album, they come back to him and bring him back. And they say, we don't know what you guys do, but we can't live without it. That's Yannick Gers. All right. And we're we're really going to talk about him anyway. So I'm glad we got to mention him now. So um, the thing about Yannick, anyway, that's Yannick. But 
when they on one of the tours when they came back and the reunion for Iron Maiden has got to be the most successful reunion of all time. For sure. Because, you know, they didn't, you know, you look at the Kiss reunion, they came out and they put out one uh, kind of, I, w- I would say squiffy, but all Kiss records are squiffy record. And it barely has all four original members on it. Tommy Thayer and Bruce Kulik are on it more than Ace and Peter. So, and they had a drummer for a, the whole rest of it. And, but here we have Iron Maiden returning, reforming, and putting out record after record, mostly bangers, as Keefe would say, apart from Matter of Life and Death, which I'm never listening to again. Don't even try to think about making me because I'm not. And live, amazing live record after live record. Rock and Rio is just a hair under a matter of life. Uh, just a hair under live after death. We didn't mention that like Maiden's first appearance at Rock and Rio, I think at the debut Rock and Rio. Oh yeah, it was they were, the co- they were the co-headliner with Queen at the like 80s comeback of Queen. So like, people, again, top musical acts in the world are yeah, doing and I, you know, we When we discussed Metallica, we had discussed about how they had transcended metal. Iron Maiden got close. They did. They were just they too metal were, to transcend metal. They, they, they I, I would say I would say that they were standing on the line. They don't have a unforgiven or a nothing else matters or a enter Sandman. They just don't right. have one. They they didn't have a single that was gonna pull that was gonna pull all sevens. But even without that, they're still they were still part of pop culture of consciousness in America. Which, Indeed. And when you think about this is a band with a zombie thing mascot who's up there with Queen, up there with Madonna, up there with Michael Jackson and Cindy Lauper. All right, that's, that's pretty damned amazing. Uh, indeed. This is a very long explainer for Wasted Years. Um, see oh, I forgot is- to I, I'm sorry. I actually had a story that I lost it. On one of the tours oh. in the reunion, I, I, as, I, as Duncan would say, but I digress. There was a they they used that that song as kind of an apology on one of the tours where Bruce and Ad- Adrian took a verse. And I mean that to me is beautiful. Fair enough. Uh, are we ready to move on? Yeah, go ahead. Sea of Madness, another Smith composition is next. It's okay. No recollection. It's solid. It's it's a solid track. I See, don't think here, it's great. Here here we have a lot of tracks that are just a little bit forgettable. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't say that about anything on the all of the preceding albums. None of those songs are forgettable on the day you hear them. But this okay. one, I heard this song today, and I have no recollection at all of this song. Fair enough. For a song that is not a single, but has been played live routinely over the years, Heaven Can Wait is an awesome song to close outside one of this album. Love that song. That, I mean, that should have been a single. It should have been. Still should be. Like, maybe they could do it justice someday with a live release, because it's a great song. And and that amazing... Uh, chorus, another incredible chorus, all written by Harris. Seven minutes long doesn't feel like seven minutes and a half. That it feels seven, less. Holy crap! And they're getting I a little, never, a little bug. 
They're bugging out a little bit on the song lengths on this album. I gotta tell you. I have never really looked at Iron Maiden's song lengths. I always assumed that they were like 12, like all of them. <laughs> I would that assume one, most of them are shorter because they're so memorable, but yeah, well, right. Fair enough. I mean, either way, it just, it, I mean, if they're all 12, it's, it's easy to remember. They're, they're either, you know, but they all feel, they're really, when Iron Maiden hits, they can play a seven, eight, nine minute track that feels like three and a half. I got you. But I, that's why that that's why it's not a single. It's seven and a half fucking minutes long. That is it. Uh, starting off side two with its legitimate deep cut, but a song that I think is excellent: "The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner." Mm, no recollections. Uh, now, in fairness, uh, my my evening was intended to be listening to the rest of this album, and I got stuck doing something I didn't want to do. I'm not going to talk about it on air. And I only listened to the first half of this album. So if I don't remember it, I don't remember it. All righty. Well, I got you covered, buddy. Because um, I listen it. to all these things. Uh, stranger in a strange land. Kind of sounds like Murders in the Room Morgue uh, to me. Yeah, but yeah. It is a, it's a good track. It was a, it was a single. And it's a good track. Good. Not great, Here, but good. Yeah, I... I Stranger in a Strange Land is it's a good song. And one of the things about this album is Bruce Dickinson turned in what he what he lacked in writing for this album, he made up for in performance. And I think this is where Bruce goes from, you know, a Paul Stanley type vocalist where every now and again you're like, oh nice, to holy crap every song. He finally catches up to Adrian and the boys. Interesting. Uh, fun fact about Stranger in a Strange Land that I just learned. This is one of only four Iron Maiden songs that have a fade out at the end. Because the band is so dramatic, they come up with an ending every time, like a poignant ending. And this is the song, like, we don't have an ending for this, just let it run out. <laughs> I think that's Fair fun. Enough. I think that's fun. I think that's a fun, a fun fact. I mean, and here we are. We've both been listening to Iron Maiden for 40 years, and we've never noticed that. I never noticed it. I've never, never I can't it. even tell you the other four songs, the other three songs of the four, <laughs> but whatever. Um, and now I notice a trend. So Deja Vu is the next to last song on the album. And it's another, it's not bad. It's not great. It's okay. Um, it's another Dave Murray, and I start to feel like Dave Murray's contributions are not only like he's always good for one song on every album, but like he had a couple of bangers right out of the gate, and then he's been con- I don't want to say he's coasting because he's not he's a great player and he's intrinsic to the sound of Maiden, but like his contributions are definitely diminishing, you know. And here's the thing, and I, I was gonna wait till the till we finished the track by track on this, but. What this album is, you know, my least favorite so far, again. And again, we're in the soft underbelly of Iron Maiden where they're burnt out. And it should be, no, we're not there yet. Anyway, but there's a lot of coalescing. There's a lot of trying to do something new. It's not working. And a lot of falling into similar patterns. That is really fair, and I think that's happens to many bands. Hey, this works. Let's do that again. 
Um, I'm not saying it happens to that. every band. I mean, it's, it's I don't, not... I don't even think it's spoken. I think it's just a subconscious thing that happens. Well, we again, going back to Metallica, because I know them so well, and we spent so much fucking time discussing them. It, that happened to them. Uh, you know, there's the meme, you know, I love Metallica, name three songs, Unforgiven. And, you know, you look at Metallica's first, you know, not kill them all, but you look at the next three albums and it's the same album over and over with different songs, fast, title, weird, ballad. That is the first, that is the next three records on side one. That is completely fair. Um, so it, it happens. You fall into ruts. It worked. You do it again. And what bothers me about it for this particular album was had Power Slave come after this one, it would have made a lot more sense. This is the album they spent a year making and taking four months time off away from each other and spent time writing it to get it right. And they didn't. Well, I have another interesting point that I'm going to make at the end of the next song to get your brain on and get your opinion of. Um, they closed the album with another Harris Longy, a lanky boy, Alexander the Great, a good track. A Not very good uncommon track. for Iron Maiden to end their albums on long tracks. On these long epic meditations. And, right. uh, and it's said in that voice on purpose. Um, you know, an Iron Maiden album listening is almost like the fucking Encyclopedia Britannica, no pun intended. Mm. But um, it's kind of like Monty know, Python. Yeah. So, I mean, like, if you look at the whole of this album, Somewhere in Time, Wasted Years, Heaven Can Wait, I Like Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner, Stranger to Strangeland, and Alexander the Great. So, six of eight above average to great songs, and the two clunkers. But, like, they're, what, they're starting to get very marginal on some of these songs. Yes. Was that the whole thing? No, there's a okay. second point to this that is going to blow your mind a little bit. Oh, that was a burp. Okay, cool. So this is, yeah, sorry, I switched from, I finished my helmet brew, which is delicious, my helmet Kolsch Ale, and I have switched to a Liquid Death Sparkly. I, uh, Liquid Death, Ghost Cult Magazine is an affiliate of Liquid Death Mountain Water. Nice. Anyway. Um, I switched to my favorite beer in the world. STL IPA. Okay. I'll have to try it someday. Um, Gotta come here to get it. Here, well, I may have to. Plus, you have barbecue there, so I may need to come there someday. Plus you. <laughs> um, and not in that order. You and then barbecue and then beer. Um, and so... I have a grill. A fun, here, awesome. Here's a fun fact. When I say somewhere in time, you don't have any bad feelings associated with the album. Like, ugh, I hate that album. Ugh, that's a subpar Iron Maiden album. Yes, when I, I say you're not in the majority. So, no, when I'm not. I, I, I'm I, a contrarian curmudgeon on accident. When, when I say Turbo by Judas Priest, you everybody gets strong feelings. You did a whole episode on this album. No, I didn't. I think, didn't you not do one for- No, I did Rock and Roll. Okay. I think Turbo is, an, is actually in hindsight now an underrated album. Most people are like, bro, oh, I hate it. I like but, Turbo Lover. I'll say that much. Uh, here, but here's the thing: which of these two albums came out first, top of your head? No, I don't know. So Turbo comes out in the spring of the same year of Somewhere in Time and is derided <clears throat> by everybody. Which, let's be honest, I love Priest, and for a long time I had Priest ahead of Maiden, and I sometimes still do from my childhood. But 
because they were before, a little before. But, um, you know, it's like Slayer. Maiden took what Priest did and did it their way a little better. Um, like, Turbo is hated by fans. This album is not. These albums are very similar. Compositions, synthesizers, interesting, longer songs. Like, there's a lot of things on Turbo. And then, and and honestly, Priest doesn't have the consistency in their career that Maiden had at the oh, beginning. Oh, God, no. Priest is always like two up and one down, two up and one down. And this was, Turbo was the one down. And this is kind of the down after the peak. They're definitely Agreed. on the down, on the down slope. But I just find it interesting that no Maiden fan hates Somewhere in Time. They just don't hold it as high. Right, right. I, I don't hate Somewhere in Time. I Somewhere in Time to me is a C plus. Don't hate it. It's definitely not quite a, it's not quite a B. And this is the first out for me where even the A songs don't balance out the lower. Right. There's not, track. you know, if, if you're going to go with, you know, the, the, the average as you do, which not my system, but your system, if you go by the average, there are no A plus bangers on this record. Wasted years though. Um, I, it is I, Wasted Years is a top 20 maybe Maiden song. I'm not sure. You know, okay, maybe maybe Wasted Years. But no other song. That I mean, that's as much as it goes. And that's and, the yeah, problem. May, maybe Somewhere in Time could get in the top 50. Stranger could get in the top 75. But, like, you're getting low now. So, okay, top 75 um, is not A+. Plus. <laughs> yeah, for sure not. Um, and then we have to... We kind of have to talk about this album cover because... Real quick, before we get there, I always thought Alexander the Great was on Seven Sun, so... Okay. That's, that's um, all. That's fair. I No, no it is yes. not. That was stupid, it but it is what it is. In, in, a the, in another one of those made it, hey, this worked really well. Let's do it again more. So Power Slave, we talked about the artwork just briefly at the end of Power Slave. The Power Slave artwork has little... Maybe they even invented this, except for comic books, Easter eggs, right? Invented the e the Easter egg hunt for the fan. Like, we're going to bake in, you know, physical graffiti, Led Zeppelin. I'm not saying this is a unique album experience, but, like, really, really going deep on the references in subtle ways with the artwork. And then they were like, that worked really well on, on Power Slave. Hey, Riggs, do it again a hundredfold on Somewhere in Time. And it's it's ridiculous. And I am not it's, sure it, it's you, you if you have more than three or four, you jump the shark. And well, the entry for the for the cover artwork on Wikipedia is three times the entry for the for the album. Like the yeah, rest I of the read album. That. I, I read it. I read it too. And it, like, it's I ridiculous. Like, I don't even remember half of this shit. Why did they do why did they why did he do this? Why did they have why did they let him like, it's, why it's, is Batman on there? Like, why? Batman? I don't remember Batman being so, on there. Supposedly there's a Batman. There's a TARDIS. That makes sense. There's a West Ham soccer team. Like, it's very much a Blade Runner, supposed to be Blade Runner inspired. Because um, space and time, space time, yada, yada. I also feel like it's also a Terminator reference to the stance of the Eddie. And yeah, um, uh, let, me, let, me, let me look at that. Because you know what? That... I mean, let me let me get a look at Eddie here. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Uh, can I say this might be Iron Maiden at their most pretentious? 
as saying something. This is a very pretentious band. I know. That's, that's a, it's a and statement. I'm a very pretentious guy. So, I have so am I, and I'm fine with it. I told my, wife on date, told my wife on date one, I'm pretentious. Live with it. I ate, I ate my ramen with chopsticks, and I feel no shame. And like, I also like only top, buy... Top ramen or a good bowl of ramen? Top? What the fuck? No, I go to the Japanese store, and I buy Sporo Ichiban or Nongshim Korean ramen. I mean, no. I, I buy... I'm not buying the ten for ten. I'm you know the ten for one. I'm buying the I'm buying the fifty cent ramen. The you know the dollar thirty nine sometimes. The better the better quality, but uh, quality also stuff. discount ramen. Yeah. All right, yeah, it's just just an hour. Look, St. Louis has a terrible St. Louis has a terrible ramen scene. All you can basically get is tonkotsu ramen here, and I don't like pork, so I'm pretty that much is fucked. The one area where you and I diverge because pork is my favorite i know pigs are very smart and i apologize to all the vegans and vegetarians listening but if Look, pigs i would not apologize so smart, to them because my humans. i i grew up on a farm like my 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 grandfather had the most metal of all kinds of farms a prison farm holy shit i have not heard this story uh i found okay so it wasn't a prison farm when he owned it but he bought it from the doc or somebody bought it from the doc i assume it was him because he was fucking old. And uh, so the whole, my whole life, you know, I spent a month, two months on that farm growing up. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, there's a lot of bunkhouses by this giant fucking gate, like a 12 foot tall wall between the farmhouse and the farm. Never occurred to me. I mean, I always noticed that. And then I find out years after he died, it's like, oh, yeah, that was a prison farm. What the fuck? Yeah, so he bought a prison farm. That's why it had 15 bunkhouses and a giant fucking wall. And then all of a sudden, wow, that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, I, I know how to feed pigs. Just so throw that out there. All right, then. Um, the 80s are an incredible time for Iron Maiden, and we're not done yet. No, and I, I really think we should end at no prayer, but that's just me. We'll talk about that later. I'm ready. I'm ready to do two next week. I'm ready to say we're going to end on a really great one, and then a not so great one, because ten, you know, ten years. But like the, the, you know, like the fact that even somewhere in time, if you want to say as a squiffy lower grade album, uh, it's still better than most other bands' albums. Agreed. No, no, somewhere in time is yes. I would say squiffy. This is the stereotypical Iron Maiden record where it's got a few. It's, it's a 30 30 30. And it's it a legit 30 30 30 for the yeah, first I mean, time. It, 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 and that Iron Maiden has a reputation in some circles of being that kind of band. This is, I would say, based on my close listening and serious bent on this series, this is the first time they've actually hit that mark. And the lows. You know, before, you know, on Power Slave, the highs are incredibly high. Like, oh my God, classics high. And the lows are, you, you didn't need all these songs. That, I mean, that's, you know, it, it's not even as bad as like Load and Reload, where it's like, wow, you went way too far. It's like, maybe you cut a little bit, just, 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 just trim a little fat here and you've got a much better steak. But... Then you get to somewhere in time, and it's it's an EP. It's a, it's it, this could have been an EP, and again, I'm going to reiterate, they took time off. 
They wanted to get it right. They tried new things, and they did it wrong. There's nothing a apart from they have one A plus tune. I, I will concede wasted years. That's an A plus tune. And then they've got a lot of solid B, a couple solid Bs and some Cs and. Uh, let's see how long is this one? It's it's not going to be long enough to cut enough out realistically. Uh, it's fifty two minutes again, which is a bit long. Eleven, you know, you don't. 40 minutes is a good amount of time for a record. Especially in the 80s. Yeah, especially. I mean, no, especially always. I, I, the Once the CD hit and we started getting 60-minute albums, I mean, how many 60-minute albums can you name that are great? A uh, few. A Not few. That many. But how many 60-minute albums can you name? A metric fuckton. Quite a bunch. And so here we are. They're getting a little bloated. They're getting, they're running out of songs. And, you know, in, at the end of the Doors movie, the um, Robbie Krieger says, I think I got a couple of blues albums that left in me. And seeing that at age 16, I didn't understand what that meant. Well, you've got a finite number of songs you can write. And throughout their blowout of the 80s, chasing momentum, they used up a lot. Which leaves that us is some, completely fair. Which leaves us somewhere in time and, you know, maybe you didn't need to write an album based off of Star Trek IV. Also true. I mean, that's not what um, they did, but I was thinking about that a lot today. Not Iron Maiden, but Star Trek Four. That would be very, yes, very pretentious. Star Trek Four. Well, I, the, the, do you do you let's let's end this Iron Maiden conversation with a conversation on Star Trek movies, Hit me. not the original series. There's a theory that says, or a theorem that says that the every the even number Star Trek movies are the only good ones. No, and I like kind. I like three. Three is quality. I like three. Five is, whew, five is something. Um, but is that I, five is the undiscovered country? Yeah, that's no, a really no, good no, one. no, 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 no. Oh, is that six? Uh, no, it's Final Frontier. Six is undiscovered, and six is the epitome of Star Trek yet to be matched by anything else. And oh, I'm I not. I and I'm not an icon. No, it's it's way better. Uh, Most maybe people, Picard. Maybe most Picard. people, most people watch uh, Die Hard and regard it as a Christmas movie. That it is not Christmas until Hans Gruber fall, you know, is kicked off in Nakatomi Plaza. But to me, it is not Christmas until Chiefy has watched The Wrath of Khan and cried at the end, like every fucking time, because I killed my man Spock. And uh, to quote the inimitable, which you called me at the top of this James T. Tiberius curse. Of all the souls I ever knew, his was the most human. <coughs> Sorry. My friend, Spock. <coughs> uh, fun, anyway. Okay, uh, this is all I'm going to say, and then we're going to be... Do you have anything to say about Iron Maiden? Are you done? <laughs> I'm kind of done. Okay, so at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, we have issues where we have to be more careful than most people. And my one of my best friends, the best man at my wedding, I have, I have two, like, 
equivalent best friends. And the one married me, one was my best man at my wedding. And so my best man comes up and he's, I was giving him my copy of MC Chris's Eating Is Not Cheating. Because I have it on vinyl now, so I don't need it anymore. And he comes up and we've got a, a, a plexiglass uh, storm door. And I open, no, no, I didn't, I didn't even, no, I didn't even open the door. So I, I pull back the curtain on our glass window, which is a significant size. And I put up the live long and prosper sign on the window. And I shove the CD through the mail slot. That was how I made it not weird. I think it's still pretty weird, but it's great. Um, and this is the Glacially Musical Podcast. Doesn't play in Peoria.